Here comes the life of the party. The Tribe. Corrupting the minds and the hearts of our children. With Josh Graham. Program for low expectations. On Sports Hub Triad. Welcome back in. It's The Drive. Darren Vaught in for Josh Graham. As I was yesterday, Stan Cotton, Larry Sorensen in his stead tomorrow, and then I believe a best-of edition of the program on Friday heading into the holiday weekend. Uh, We discussed Bobby Bonilla Day prior to the break, and that's where I want to begin with our first guest, but we'll get into the shortened MLB season scheduled to get started here this month, as it's July 1. So as we welcome in Richard Justice of MLB.com and MLB Network. Richard, first of all, hope you're staying safe. Uh, it's good to to talk with you. Bobby Bonilla Day, should we clown the Mets as much as we do for this contract? You know, I'd have to go back and look at, you know, on a serious note. I know it's we all celebrate that day. I'd have to go back and look at the real dollar value and see whether it was a good move for the Mets or a good move for Bobby Bonilla. I have a friend that got, uh, for 25 years, got a $500,000 payment a year. And in fact, I think it's just run out. And uh, $500,000 a year, but he, you know, he had a great career. And I think somebody went back and put a number to it and thought, you know what, this might have been the not might not have been the best use of your money, but <laughs> some guys like having that deferred payment. Deferred payments generally don't work for the player. But it sure is cool for Bobby to get a check for a million once a year for, yeah. the, for I guess I guess the rest of eternity. Yeah, and and I, I I've by what I've read, there's about 15 years remaining on this, so there's only going to be so much life, I think, to the term Bobby Bonilla Day. Uh, with deferred payments, <laughs> teams, it's it's rather savvy on their part, by my estimation, wouldn't it stand to reason that? If you see major league sports teams' valuations going up and projecting up for the, the distant future, a team like the Mets, to make that deal, or, or like the Braves did with Bruce Souter, to pay incremental amounts over 25, 30 years, you know, it's safe to say a million dollars 20 years from now, based on the, the projected valuations, is less to a team than in that moment, right? Doesn't it make more sense for a team? Yeah, I I think in general, from a, a, an economic textbook side of it, although you got to be really careful about having too many of those, because it at some point it starts to inhibit your ability to put a roster together for today. I think in general, uh, teams do like deferred money, and players do not like deferred money because it decreases the amount of the contract. I know I used to when I covered the Redskins. Um, every NFL contract had two sides to it. There was the guaranteed side, the sign-in bonus side, and then, you know, the back side, which would be what the papers use, you know, $80 million. And players would come to you and go, what's this year? What's the sign-in bonus? What's the roster bonus? Because he ain't seeing next year. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, Richard Justice of MLB.com and the MLB Network is with us. Let's move on to... This uh, presumed season, albeit shortened, that we are planning for for Major League Baseball, uh, it's been talked about over the last 24 hours or so that teams evidently will not reveal which players go to the COVID-specific injured list. Is this, Richard, an issue more of 
of HIPAA guidelines, or is this an election made by the league and by teams just not to disclose that information? You know, it's happening a lot in, in recent years, the HIPAA guidelines about teams. Some teams are very uncomfortable uh, detailing uh, almost any um, uh, information about uh, injuries. When Jeff Luna was managed, uh, general manager of the Astros, we used to joke a guy could have his leg severed at second base and they would announce lower leg discomfort. <laughs> I, I think at the end of the day, we're going to be able to figure it out. And I think in most cases, players will want that. Inf- I think players will, in general, want the information out there because of the infectious nature of this thing. For sure. And, and that would lead to my next question, which is about some some concerns that fans have at this juncture, seeing that as a headline. Are you worried at all that this maybe allows the league or teams to obscure what would be an outbreak if we got all the information? No, not obscure, because you can't. I mean, if five guys disappear, you're going to know. I mean, I, I think ultimately the information generally is going to get out in a hurry. I thought you were going to ask me, will it, will it make fans less, uh, more reluctant to come back into the ballpark? Like in Texas, even though the virus is out of control here right now, I mean out of control, 7,000 new cases, yesterday or today or sure. we like have similar yeah. very similar numbers in north carolina actually yeah 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 i have a friend uh one of my daughter's best friends is in an ic unit in chapel hill and that they tell dreadful stories but anyway the the rangers and astros are trying to survey their fans saying would you come back if we are allowed to open right now texas is still allowed to open and given how polarizing it's become i, I assume that they still will be so would a club feel safe letting fans back in the ballpark? Would fans be safe coming back in? There's a lot of things teams are a lot of things teams are wrestling with right now. But it's mainly can we get the players to the point where they feel safe, where their families feel safe? I live in Houston. The Astros have a 71 year old manager and a 71 year old pitching coach. Yeah, uh, that's a high risk territory. So there are so many moving parts. You know. The labor negotiations were just about money, and the money didn't move. It was sitting right there on the table, <laughs> and we could have a fight about that. This opponent now is really wicked, and there is still so much we don't know about this virus. Yeah, and a, a moving target for what it's worth. Like right. you said, the money That's is going right. to be the money. This thing is getting worse and better by the hour, right. by the day. Richard Justice of MLB.com is with us. Speaking of moving parts, we spoke at the open of our show today about how how interested we are in seeing how some of these things are going to be enforced if Major League Baseball does, in fact, begin its 60-game season plan. For instance, no spitting. Richard, like you and I know that baseball players spit. It's just what they do, whether it's seeds or tobacco or with absolutely nothing in their mouth. They just... It, spitting is something that happens on a field. How on earth is that going to be enforced? Well, I, I don't know that enforcement is possible, but what it is is these are the recommendations to allow you to be uh, the most safe. It's the same way with you and I going into your supermarket, going to a restaurant. You know, It's the same thing. We all deal with this. Wear a mask, socially distance. They, they are trying to say this is the best way to, to stay safe. 
you know, we're, we're just offering recommendations and, uh, we're, we're hoping that you would try to abide by them, but you're right. Habits, uh, you know, lifelong habits sometimes are, are really hard to break. There's been some back and forth, you know, players are creatures of habit. I think the players wanted more, you know, can you, could you test us every day and allow us to use all our training facilities, indoor cages and all of that? Do we have to leave the ballpark to shower a number of, of, of things like that? And, uh, it, it, it's really day to day and we don't know, you know, somebody asked me today, is there a tipping point on infections that MLB would say we're done? I, I don't know the answer to that. And I don't, I don't think commissioner Rob Manfred knows the answer to that either. All I know is, I mean, we're hopeful of getting the game back on the field. Like people like you and me, I mean, we'd give anything to see live sports again. I mean, I, I think you've seen the NASCAR ratings have been great. Yeah. The golf ratings have been great. And to get, you know, to get the NBA and the in the NHL and baseball back in whatever form it's going to be uh, would be wonderful. Yeah, that's a good comparison with, you know, say us going into a grocery store and being asked to wear masks, right? I mean, right. another one of those suggestions given by Major League Baseball is, you know, umpires and officials have always tried to prohibit fighting and brawling. So if a situation gets to a point where tempers are flaring, I guess that that, you know, willingness to to play along and do what's best for everybody and that altruistic nature of a player or set of players is probably the only thing there that's going to stop them potentially from tussling. But uh, let's get to some of the the, the more fun hypothetical things with this 60-game stretch that we hope gets played in Major League Baseball with our guest Richard Justice, um, given the 60-game nature, it's condensed. Does that favor anybody in particular, any type of team in particular, in your mind, players who are streaky or more consistent? How do you see that? Oh, I, I you know, the team that jumps to, to mind is the Oakland A's. On opening day, if they had, we had had the traditional opening day, they might have been the best team in baseball because they have three young starting pitchers who are bad boys. I mean, AJ <laughs> Puck, Jesus Lazardo, and less of a kid, Sean Manaya. But they didn't pitch very many innings last year. And the challenge for the A's was how do we control their workload this year? And now in a 60 game season, you go just throw them out there and let them go. We're going to ask them to make 12 starts. They were going to make 12 starts anyway. San Diego has a ton of young pitching. You know more about Atlanta. Atlanta's less of an unknown quantity because guys like Soroka and, and, and Freed have pitched, but and they also have lots. Atlanta has lots of depth, but that I mean that tells me that anybody can, you know, has a chance. Oakland has a chance to overtake Houston. Let's say Verlander can't go, but the back of the rotation for the Astros, uh, something happens there. Then Oakland wins the AL West and chaos breaks loose. But I think we've already in a season where 21 teams thought they could go to the playoffs, and now I think that number grow, goes up because I mean there are probably 20 teams now thinking, hey, somebody's going to win this World Series. Why not us? I was once covering the NFL and somebody asked Don Shula in a strike shortened season, Coach, this is an asterisk season, and Don Shula's answer was. Buddy, if it's an asterisk season, the Dolphins intend to be the Super Bowl champs of the asterisk season, okay? And he said it with that glare that made you say, uh, okay, I'm sorry. That's fantastic stuff. Last thing for you before we let you go, Richard Justice of MLB.com and MLB Network. He's at Richard Justice on Twitter as well. 
Uh, we had the Hall of Famer Rod Carew on the show yesterday, and he you know, famously was chasing 400 for much of his career. He got to 388 in 1977. Others have been close since then, like a Tony Gwynn and others. Does anyone have a chance at that elusive mark of a 400 batting average given this 60-game schedule, assuming we see this full shortened season come to fruition? Yeah, it's a guy that's not going to go outside the strike zone a lot. You know, you think about Joey Votto, you think about Bellinger, Yelich. Obviously, Trout has a chance to hit 500 because just because of the person, the kind of player that he is. Yeah. Um, so I think it's somebody that's going to make a lot of contact and not walk. And, you know, because it's a 60-game season, it ultimately catches up with everybody at some point. It, it you know, caught up with George Brett and, and Pete Rose and all the guys that, that got close. So, but, you know, we're talking about 60 games. We're not talking, you know, 162 games reveals your strengths and exposes your weaknesses. Maybe 60 doesn't. I, I don't know. It'll be, it'll be fun to watch, and it'll be fun to see who emerges as that. And I guarantee you players are thinking that very thing. Yeah, no doubt they are. It's a fun silver lining. Like, none of this is fun, the circumstances surrounding this delayed start and whether or not we're actually going to get the full shortened season. But uh, some fun storylines in the event that we do. Richard Justice, at Richard Justice on Twitter of MLB.com and MLB Network. Really do appreciate the time, man. That was fun. Thank you for having me. That's Richard Justice again of MLB.com and MLB Network. Long time writer in the MLB circles, and you heard him reference his time covering NFL and some other sports as well. He's one of the the best in the business, a bona fide expert in the sport of baseball. So some good stuff from him, those fun storylines. I mean, look, Rod Carew, who was with us yesterday, one of the best contact hitters to ever live, and he only got as close as 388, but that was in a 100 and 62 game season and I think in in some cases with him they were still at the mark of 154 before they upped the total of games in a season either way you guys know a lot of you listening watched Tony Glenn Tony Gwynn hit if he couldn't do it in 162 not many guys are 60 games offers an entirely new set of possibilities so if we do get it it'll be a lot of fun to watch. Robert is looking at me like I'm speaking Japanese from the other side of the glass. He doesn't really know baseball that well. So we're going to try and help inform him, educate him on the sport of baseball on the other side with what we like to call baseball for dummies. That's next. You're on the drive with Josh Grant. Let's get the show going on Sports Hub Triad. You're tuned into the drive. Appreciate you listening. My thanks also to Richard Justice, our first of two guests who was with us prior to the break, talking about the 60 game stretch that Major League Baseball is planning to go through with. And of course, all of this is assuming a COVID 19 outbreak doesn't get so serious that they feel the need to put a halt to the season altogether yet again, as they did at the start. But some interesting things, given the shortened nature of the season. Baseball is a game where people cherish numbers. That's why 
that 400 batting average is so coveted for a long time, pre-steroid era, the the home run records for a career and single season were were historic in nature, and they were just on this different pinnacle that no other sports records are treated with the same type of reverence that Major League Baseball records are treated with. And a batting average of 400 would be one of those numbers. And it's really the only one for which a shortened season would favor a player. Obviously, fewer games, you're going to hit fewer home runs. You're going to hit, you know, for for fewer runs driven in. Any, any other kind of record, a pitcher is going to have fewer strikeouts with fewer fewer starts, fewer wins with fewer starts. Every other record or, or record potential number suffers, except for the averages, and there are a lot of those in baseball. So it'll be interesting to see, again, assuming we do get the 60-game season, if anybody can chase that batting average of 400 and get it for the first time in a long time. Ted Williams still technically the last guy to hit 400 in Major League Baseball. I say all this, and Robert Walsh, the producer of this program, is only catching bits and pieces. Not because he's not paying attention, but because he just... He just doesn't really know much about baseball, which is why we created Baseball for Dummies. Robert doesn't know diddly squat about baseball. Strike one! When Robert hears strikeout, he thinks all about his failed past relationships. Strike two! When Robert hears breaking ball, he winces. Gas? Get the point? Strike three, you're out! While everyone else is swinging for the fences, Robert is simply trying to get on base. Swing! 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 This is Baseball for Dummies. There's a couple different places we could start here with this. Uh, I have some analytical questions. I have some maybe sad questions. (laughs) Let's let's not start with the sad stuff. Let's start with with what you feel. Uh, Okay, as a kid... Growing up, I did not play baseball in high school. I stopped playing in middle school, but one of my favorite things about high school games were the walk-up songs. I always, I was infatuated with professional wrestling. I loved the entrance part of being a wrestler. Yeah, that's a a direct parallel for sure. So I always wondered what my walk-up music would be, but I have a couple questions before we get to that. Okay. Uh, In the majors, do they have walk-up music? Uh, what is it like copyrighted music? I know college they can pick little excerpts of whatever songs they want. And is is walk up music so easily defined as just something that gets you pumped up, or is there a different meaning behind walk up music? No, I mean it's specific to the individual player, right? And you know, having interviewed players from like the seventies, as we did with Rod Carew yesterday, and. Because of my affiliation with USA Baseball, I've talked to guys who played in the 80s, the 90s, the 2000s, and even today. It's the the view on walk-up music has changed, right? So, "Inner Sandman" by Metallica used to be the song that that Mariano Rivera came out to when he would close out a game. The Hall of Famer Mariano Rivera, the closer for the New York Yankees. So, pitchers have their music too. You've seen. 
Major League, Rick the Wild Thing Vaughn has Wild Thing play as his music when he comes to warm up the pitch. He made their hearts sing. He made their hearts sing, I, yeah. I guess, proverbially. So, I, I have come to find out in recent years, Mo, Mo Rivera didn't choose that song. He left it to the sound guy to pick a good song oh, that he thought gosh. was appropriate. That's and cool, it turns though. out, you know, Mariano Rivera is forever tied to this song when you go to a baseball fan and most most of the time you, you just play word association. Mariano Rivera, they'll say, oh, Inner Sandman. So some guys take it way more seriously than others. Okay. Usually it's sort of a, all right, let me get in the zone, which for some guys can be something a little bit more calming and something a little bit more upbeat. It just depends on the personality, and that's the fun in it. And to answer your first question, major leaguers can choose anything. Okay, cool. So most of the time it's, you know, popular music, whatever genre they prefer, uh, country, pop. Uh, what's cool about the majors, too, is with Latin American players, you just get this this uh, injection in a ballpark of you know something that might be popular in Colombia or For sure. whatever, and and not as popular here, but that's that's a player's origin, and they really like that song, so that's where that's how you hear it. Did you have a walk up song when you played? And what would your walk up music now be? So I did have a walk up song, and I played at a very low college level, just to make things clear, but. We had we were advanced enough to play to pump custom tunes. Collegiate, nonetheless. Don't downplay your. So, I, my walk-up song was "Self-Esteem" by The Offspring. Okay, which, familiar with The Offspring, not which, the song. Which starts with the it's a it almost sounds like a drunken chorus. No music behind it, but the guys go la 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 la, and, and it okay, starts cool. on the hard riff. Right. Oh, that's nice. It, it suited me, yeah. right? It was like it, my teammates would hear that for the first time when I would go up, and they said, "Oh, that's totally you. It's so you." And that's how I knew I picked a good one. Yeah, I had a teammate, a little more of a goofball, who would always choose something a little bit quirky. You know, he, he picked like boy band jams some years, <laughs> but one year in particular, he picked "What Is Love," the song from the night at the Roxbury. Oh, that's great. What is love? Yeah, love? yeah. They, like, you're you bobbing your me. head right now, and I'm telling you, every game, that's exactly what the opposing dugout was doing, They're... bobbing their head. And in his <laughs> mind, he's like, "I got you, right? Like, I'm. You fell for it. You fell for it. I got you. I am mentally superior, and I'm ready for this at bat. That's great. Oh man, you got me fired up now. Now I got to pick I spent up. My... A, yeah, I spent a lot of time on walk up songs there. Uh, it, no big deal. No big deal. It's your show. You can do whatever you want to do. <laughs> uh, with minor league baseball being canceled, I wanted to look at the bright side, and fi- I love minor league baseball mascots. I-, I don't know why. Down East Wood Ducks, they have like a Hispanic night, and they turn into avocados de luchadors. Yeah, and those own- major league mascots are so damn pretentious. Yeah, just-, just come on, just reach down there and just grab the something. Philly fanatic. Never met a more entitled, green, fuzzy, okay. yeah. whatever. Like, uh, I know that there's one based off the Simpsons uh, town that's like the something isotopes. The Albuquerque isotopes. I knew you would the, know. Yeah, yeah that's, the, that's the team name now. And I was always a fan of the Warthogs growing up. I had so much Wally gear. I had a Warthog bat. But I didn't know, in your opinion, what is the best minor league 
mascot. Well, we're in a great place for it, right? I think the starting points are probably mascots like Wool Ebull of the Durham Bulls. For sure. And there's also Homer the Dragon, who has a fascinating story in which someone stole the mascot costume at one point and took Homer the Dragon gallivanting for a night on the town oh, in wow. Charlotte, North Carolina. That's fantastic. It's it's findable. You can certainly find that. Uh, it's just a treat of a story. I don't know that the Knights brass would want me <laughs> talking about it. but um, Come and get you, me. If you can, look that one up. I'll check it out for sure. And that's Baseball for Dummies. All right, I haven't left as much time for this segment, and I've been looking forward to it all day. Darren Vaught in for Josh Graham. This is The Drive. Robert Walsh producing on the other side of the glass. And just to quickly get into it, because I know we've got some some quirky sound and fun stuff to go with this, Robert. Let's get right to our trading card war. This means war! You're a tough little guy, aren't you? This means war! Hey, hey, it's cool, it's cool. This means war! What? Does it have to? Can it mean something else? Okay, you dirtbags! This means war! Finish him! So, Darren... As a first-time war participant, I'll break down the rules a little bit for you. We are going to open our packs of trading cards, which I have already done. I cheated just a little bit. Oh, that's okay. You're allowed that. I wanted to wait so that people, because I know this is just a beloved sound, so that our listeners would hear me rip into the pack. Trading card ASMR is what it should have been called. (laughs) But anyway, we come up with five uh, superlatives, if you will. And those five are going to, you're going to try to match people from your deck of cards with those five superlatives. All right. Do we have a judge to determine whether or not one is better than the other for a category? This is kind of just like where one of us will just agree to to disagree. Okay. No, that's fine. I'm perfectly fine with it. Yeah, I'm sure me and you will be able to. We can work. We're reasonable people. We can work this out. All right. Yeah. For sure. So the five superlatives we're working with today. Most likely to be involved in a fireworks accident. (laughs) Most likely to win a pie-eating contest. Could successfully wrestle a pig. Is the grill master at his barbecue. And would skinny dip in a blow-up pool. All good categories. I just, we have to get it out of the way. You don't have... JPP. No JPP. Jason Paul in your card. Because that would be in bad taste if we played him as the most likely to get into a fireworks accident. For sure. But I feel like. Although he would be because he's the only one that did. Yeah. If uh, (laughs) you got your cards in order, you think you can figure this out or are you still working with it? No, we're good. I I feel good about this pack, man. You, uh. You probably heard me go ooh as you were explaining the rules. It's because I got a good, a lot of good, a lot of good names in here. Sometimes you just get lucky and just get a. Oh man, everybody knows it, right? There are dud packs. And usually it's Josh who's like, oh, man, I've got a great pack. And then he'll walk in here and just come into a, a buzzsaw that is my pack. But anyway, that. starting things off, most likely to be involved in a fireworks accident, I am going to start off with A.J. Green. A.J., coming okay. out of Georgia, should be a dominant wide receiver. But somewhere along the line, he just always gets hurt, always gets nicked up. He should have put it in reverse, Terry, and just avoided those fireworks. <laughs> but he didn't, and that's why I'm raising A.J. Green here. 
All right, this one's a, a little a little off the board, but I feel good about it. Okay. I feel good about this pick. Philip Rivers. Okay. He, he is dude's in got every a, pack. Dude's got a billion kids. Accidents oh. happen galore. Oh, wow. I didn't even think about think that. Think about it. He literally has like eight or nine kids. He's literally putting out fires. Little fires everywhere. Every day. All the time. Every day. His yeah. life off the football field has to be sheer chaos. You step up to the plate and knock it out of the park, Darren. You win that first. Mm. But I'm not going to let you go so easily. Second category is to win a pie-eating contest, I am going to raise you George Kittle. He is a massive man, the largest man in my entire deck. I feel like if anybody on that 49ers team, including offensive linemen, could win a pie-eating contest, it would be this guy, and he would do it with swagger. My pick is George Kittle. I have what I believe to be the perfect card for this Oh, one. no. You got an offensive lineman. The no, rare offensive lineman. That's what you lineman. would think. That's what you would think. Instead of playing an offensive lineman. Oh, no. I'm going with the cover boy himself. Oh, He's no. on the packs. Ben Roethlisberger. How are you going to How are you gonna walk in here and dust me and make me start 2-0, Darren? How are you? I, I'm over here. There's no arguing with yeah, that. Yeah, I, I can't. I, I can't. And I'm probably about to. You know what? We're not going to do can successfully wrestle a pig because I think I'm going to lose that one. We're going to put that to the end. Uh, fourth one is the grill master at his barbecue. He's been a grill master everywhere he's been, and I don't think that's going to stop at his new landing spot. Cam Newton is not letting anyone get close to his grill. And it doesn't matter what he's cooking, he's in charge. I don't know, man. Cam seems like the type to have people cook for him. Ah, come on, man. He He's does. out there wearing a, a Gucci apron. I have a a newly minted retiree. Oh, who you got? Eli Manning. Uh. <laughs> I'm sure he's wearing the the dad grill shoes. Well, he's got socks and sandals on. Oh yeah, his his cotton gray athletic shorts <laughs> and a sporty a, an overly sporty watch For on the sure. hand that he's flipping with. I don't know. What do we what do we think uh, about this a, one? I don't know, man. I'm gonna have to lean Cam mostly because that I could be a be wash. Alive. I want Cam, uh, if if I'm in more in favor of Cam running the the barbecue or the grill. People don't like it when you call barbecue a noun when yeah. you use it that way. It's if, if if he's running the cookout, I'm more likely to go. <laughs> for sure. So you get that one, for sure. Uh, the last one, uh, because we skipped Wrestle a Pig, skinny dip in a blow-up pool. Uh, I'm going to put in Tom Brady because... <laughs> you actually got a pretty good, like, bike card collecting standards a pretty good pack of cards yeah oh yeah stack the cam and and tom duo is funny there but per our very specific categories i think i crushed you. oh yeah you i i don't even want to revisit the pig one because i know you've won we got another quarterback the most likely to skinny dip in a blow-up pool baker mayfield oh but <laughs> I've never and got if you washed. Would've, if you would have done the, the pig category, by the way, I've got Aaron Donald waiting in the oh, wings. Oh, dude, I had Sammy Watkins. You would have literally <laughs> you would have literally 5-0'd me, Darren. This is your Ooh. first trading card war, and you won. You know what? Claps for you. Every, kids, give it up. Because that that's amazing. Good for you. Oh, God. Congratulations. I have, incre- for what it's worth, incredible luck opening packs of cards yeah. lately. So I told you I had the one pack of baseball cards waiting on me when I got home Uh uh-huh yesterday 
And uh, I pulled a Chris Bryant game used jersey insert. He played with the that. Cubs. There you, you know I'm it. I'm getting it. I'm and, getting and, it. And in tune with what we're doing on the show, that's Chris with a K. Don't yeah. think I didn't recognize yeah. the Mortal Kombat theme. Oh, look at that, dude! <laughs> what can I say, man? You're you're rubbing off on me. All right, you're tuned into the Sports Hub. This is the Drive, ninety three point seven FM in Greensboro. High Point, it's one hundred four point nine FM. 101.5 in Winston-Salem and in Burlington, 104.5. This is the Sports Hub Triad. That's fun. The trading card war. Man, if, that's a... If not for anybody else, for us. That's a... I hope people had as much fun listening as I did playing. Because just like flipping through these cards when you get them in the pack. It feels so good in your hand, too. Yeah. These are sleek cards. I had a Mitchell Trubisky I didn't use. I, I Man, I had a holographic Juju Smith-Schuster that I did not use. Ooh. Also, Ooh, anybody want some trading cards, hit me up. I'll maybe it was <laughs> the player there. I had Ed Oliver. The uh, is, is he going to be? Yeah, he's going to be a rookie for the for the Bills. Uh, out of it's Houston. his second year, but yeah, former oh, Houston. So this was a rookie card. Yes, yeah, yeah, correct. you're right. You're right. So uh, Clay Matthews was in here too. I as a Ram or as or, a pack as a Ram. Nice, I had a good, good little pack here. So um, that's fun. It's just, it's, dude, I love just cards. flipping through cards, seeing the names. It's so nostalgic. And, but it's an industry, and I don't know how much the pandemic has had to do with this because there are pieces that have been written about the resurgence of people buying old cards just to and going through their old cards and, and getting back into collecting because they don't have much else better to do. But there has been a little bit of a resurgence in the industry. Like some some newer sets have uh, really taken off in value and, and price pointing, where for a long time it was just like, okay, these are just going to be pieces of paper forever. So it's kind of cool to see that they've there's a little bit of bounce back value with with collecting cards, baseball cards in particular. Josh Graham loves to talk sports. He also loves writing sports poetry, but he can't think of a rhyme for puck. Oh, I get it. You're on The Drive with Josh Graham. All right, no more talk of Karens. That's not going to that's going to cease for the for the remaining time we have this evening on the drive i'm darren vaught in for josh graham it's been a fun couple of days our last guest in the gauntlet that has been the past two days of sports radio joining us now and it's roddy jones of espn and the acc network formerly the team captain running back star even for the georgia tech yellow jackets football team and a good friend roddy welcome in man how are you Thanks, Darren. Uh, I'm good, man. How are you? I am, uh, you know, all things considered, doing well on the occasion, getting to host a sports radio show, and just hoping, man, hoping that we get some college football and we get it on time and that everybody, as many people as as possible anyways, can stay safe and we can mitigate this whole thing and get past it sooner than later. Um, I mentioned at the, the start of the show, Roddy, today marks the beginning of the second half of 2020. And we're trying to be a second-half team. I gave my version of a halftime speech at the beginning of our show just to get us off on the right foot. And it, it, it actually made me think, you as a player probably saw some pretty good second-half comebacks in your days. 
but probably some incredible halftime speeches. Does one come to mind from a coach that you played for? Um, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't really remember the speeches. Uh, I think the one that stands out, the, the ones that stand out are when we're getting beat by a lot and we're just getting tongue, tongue lashing. <laughs> yeah. Um, but the, I guess the one that was the most effective was, uh, in 2008, we played university of Georgia up there, uh, and Hatton won in seven years. Um, and we were down 26 to 12 at halftime and, or sorry, 28 to 12, we were down by 16 and uh and coach johnson i just remember the last thing he said before we walked out of the locker room was hey if you guys don't believe that we can win then stay in the locker room because we're going to win this game uh and sure enough we came back and won 45 42 so i don't remember what happened before that i just remember uh the result roddy jones is with us he's at roddy jones 20 on twitter a new ish podcast right acc af acc all football that you can find wherever you get your podcasts um Speaking of Paul Johnson, he he doesn't seem he was a, he's a very smart guy and and subdued in his mannerisms. Uh, doesn't seem like the really type to 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 really get into you at halftime. But I imagine playing for him, you saw just about every shade of him. Yeah, yeah, uh, he, he's a he's a guy that's been a scrapper his entire life. So when, when his back's against the wall, you see the competitiveness come out and. Uh, he was a ton of fun to play for because you knew you were going to have an advantage schematically on a week in week out basis. Not a, it wasn't a rah rah warm fuzzy coach, uh, but when those competitive juices started flowing, uh, he would really he he could get after it a little bit. So it was fun. We had some good teams, so it was a lot of fun. And uh, and yeah, he was a, he was he was a he was a good guy to be around and learn football from for sure. Another coach that got after it back in a, a former time and has been back getting after it at UNC in Chapel Hill as Mac Brown as he continued his recruiting prowess yesterday as the Tar Heels landed five-star cornerback Tony Grimes, a big get for the Heels. Roddy, do we chalk this up just as the, the Mac Brown effect now that he's back and he's got some time uh, behind him as the the newer coach of the Tar Heels to get this recruiting thing going, or what what else goes into that? Well, we we knew Mac Brown was going to recruit well, uh, or at least those that that weren't caught up in his age knew that he yeah. was going to recruit well um, because he he'd been relevant. You know, like everybody said, oh, high school kids don't know who Mac Brown is. Like you go in and you pop on the tape of 05 Texas and Vince Young. All these high school recruits know who Vince Young is. All these high school recruits watched college football, or at least a lot of them did, and Mac Brown was on TV covering college football up until this year. And then he was really smart in bringing in two rock star coordinators and some rock star recruiters. And, and I don't think it's, it should be lost on people that who were the two are the two people that Tony Grimes mentioned that he felt comfortable with. It was Mac Brown and it was Dre Bly. And Dre Bly has been a fantastic on the recruiting trail for North Carolina. Um, so, so look, when you look at teams that are building something throughout the country who are building something that looks like it's going to be a powerhouse in, oh, I don't know, two to three years, North Carolina is right at the top of that list because of what they're doing on the recruiting trail because he's got two coordinators that are absolute rock stars and, and a fan base that – if if you have to start getting into some bidding wars, you've got some some deep pockets. I mean, they certainly come out for for Carolina basketball, 
And if Carolina football can get to the point where it's competing for ACC championships, they should come out there too, and you should be able to keep those guys. So uh, I really love what Mac Brown's doing because it's good for the league and it's good for Carolina, which is one of those brands that, whether it's football or basketball, you see that, that, that logo and you know exactly who everybody's talking about. We're talking to Roddy Jones of ESPN and the ACC Network. And Roddy, with you being a former player and and formerly having made those decisions, I think you're a good person to ask about this. Uh, it, what Mac Brown is doing is is significant within our state of North Carolina here, especially, and it leaves fans of of other teams in the Big Four of ACC North Carolina teams sort of shrugging their shoulders as to to say, you know, like. Why can't we ever have spells like that? And we've seen it with Dave Doran. He's had success uh, up until very recently, was the front runner in the in the state of North Carolina as far as recruiting is concerned. Obviously, people are drawn to David Cutcliffe for all of the, the many great superlatives that we've been known to give him over the years. And then Dave Clawson has his own thing going in Wake Forest as well and has them on the uptick. What goes into liking a, a coach for that fit as you are a 17, 18-year-old boy at that point? And, and sometimes, you know, sometimes teams get on your radar before that. You're 15, 16 years old. What goes into nurturing that relationship and, and building it to a point where you have that kind of trust with a coach? Well, I think I think the biggest thing is you have to believe in somebody, and and when Mac Brown walks into a room, there's just the genuineness that you get, this feeling of 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 magnetism. Like there's some guys and and, and people in general that when they walk into the room, you're just drawn to them. You're drawn to what they have to say. You're drawn to who they are. And Mac Brown's one of those people. He's, he's a guy who has evolved over the course of his coaching career from a fiery, in-your-face, hands-in-everything head coach that, that led him to a lot of success at North Carolina the first time and then a lot of success at Texas. And now he's evolved into more of the CEO role, the guy that's there to motivate, to take the temperature of the team, and to let his coordinators go do the X's and O's on a daily basis. So I think there's just a belief there. And, and honestly, all of those guys you mentioned have it in different ways, but the philosophy is different for Carolina and, and, and NC State. Like I grouped those two together, and then I grouped Duke and, and Wake Forest separately because Duke and Wake Forest are always going to be developmental programs. They're going to bring in guys, they're going to redshirt them, they're going to grow them up, and they're going to play them as redshirt juniors and seniors. Uh, whereas Carolina and NC State are going to shoot for the best in the state, are going to try and compete with you know, Clemson and Virginia Tech and, and Maryland and all the people that try and that are close that try and dip into North Carolina, Georgia, you know, I, the list goes on and on, that are trying to dip into the same recruiting areas, and they're going to compete with those. And, and so I think that the team – that, that has the most to lose by Carolina's ascent is NC State because that pool of guys that are not going to go out of state that are going to choose between the in-state schools gets smaller if, if Mac Brown's snapping them all up. But I think to answer your question, again, it's, it's that belief. And, I, I mean, I, I feel it when I talk to Mac Brown, both when I talked to him as a colleague when he was at ESPN and now as a coach, when you talk to him, you just you just believe him. You know, you just feel like, you feel like he's telling the truth, and you feel like he has your best interest at heart. And, and I think that is a big deal for a college recruit. 
Uh, last thing for you, Roddy Jones, before we let you go, at Roddy Jones 20 on Twitter of ESPN and the ACC Network. Again, check out the podcast, ACC All Football, wherever you get your podcast. He's been doing some good stuff there as well. Uh, a few days ago, this Sports Illustrated piece came up, and it was reimagining conference realignment as we're about 10 years from the last time that that realignment was truly shaken up in a major wide-spanning way in college sports and it was made in a way that it would be better for non-revenue sports in terms of travel cost and the savings for those and it it combined to our our audience's interest here would mainly be with the mid-Atlantic region that was in this this hypothetical scenario. And it includes Clemson, Charlotte, App State, Duke, ECU, UNC, NC State, South Carolina to be paired with Clemson there, Wake Forest to, to round out the big four in North Carolina, and then Virginia Tech and Virginia as Virginia teams. And then there's Old Dominion sort of stuck in there as the, the oddball. Uh, it's just it's fun to play around with these things. I don't think this is a realistic shaking up of realignment. This would require a lot of cooperation from the top down. But in your eyes, is is there any need to get a little bit closer to something like this in college sports? Well, we'll see coming out of the pandemic how much uh, schools are looking to I don't want to say cut corners, but but shave costs and travel costs is certainly one of them, particularly when you're talking about some of these teams that have to go, you know, multiple states over um, to be able to compete. So uh, if if that becomes the a big issue, if, if schools are losing that much revenue, whether it's due to ticket sales or, or due to a reduced or maybe, you know, delayed football season, then we might have to think about it. But the thing that, that it, it, it won't happen because TV revenue drives it all. Yeah. And when you throw in, um, you know, some of these schools that have smaller TV markets, athletic directors aren't going to be really excited about inviting them into a conference. I mean, look at how the last round of realignment went. I mean, Rutgers has no business being in the Big Ten, neither does Maryland. But why did, why did those two join the Big Ten? Money for them. And for the Big Ten, you now have access to the New York TV market and you have access to the DC TV market to massive markets. So, so you make that move. Uh, so, and, and there's, there's reason, I mean, there's, uh, there's examples of that all over. Like the one that makes me the maddest is that, that Nebraska is no longer in the big 12. Well, why is that? Because the big 10 figured out that, Hey, if we have a conference channel and we do it the right way, we can make a lot of money for all of our schools where the big 12 was beholden to Texas and Texas said, no, we're going to do a longhorn network. You guys can go do your own thing. And the cut is much smaller, obviously. So Nebraska said, Oh, we'll forget you. We're going over here where we can make more money. So, so with it driven by that, uh, the, the revenue aspect of it is going to, I think, supersede anything that would push it the other way. Um, because the schools that are going to hurt the most with the non-revenue sports and the travel because of the lack of revenue are those schools like App State, Old Dominion, um, the small Charlotte, the ones that you mentioned that are not currently in Power 5 schools or in Power 5 conferences. And the Power 5 conferences are not going to be really excited about inviting them in because they're all in the same TV market. Uh, he's Roddy Jones, formerly of Georgia Tech, now with ESPN and the ACC Network. For what it's worth, Roddy, your Yellow Jackets in this scenario would have been put in what's called the Deep South Conference. 
and wow. you would have taken Florida State and Miami from the ACC with you, but would have joined Georgia as a conference rival and the Florida Gators. So again, in theory, all of these things could be a lot of fun. But I'm like you; I don't, I don't see them happening anytime soon unless circumstances get way, way, way more severe. Maybe then, you know, you could get hired on to be an analyst for the Deep South Network if that exists at that time. <laughs> Uh, again, thanks for the time today. I'm glad to hear your voice. Glad you're doing well. And hopefully we can get uh, past this pandemic stuff and, and see each other and catch up soon. Yeah, man, I hope so. I appreciate you plugging the pod, too. We've got the uh, the team previews going on this week. So NC State drops tomorrow for anybody in your market that's interested in the uh, team preview of the Wolfpack. Very good. That's uh, ACC All Football, ACCAF, wherever you get your podcasts, hosted by the Roddy Jones, our guest. Roddy, good to talk, man. We'll talk later. Good to talk to you too, man. Take care. He's at Roddy Jones 20 on Twitter. One of my favorites. Just a good dude. Um, really good football player back in his day as well as a team captain with the Yellow Jackets. Robert, I think I'm going to leave you a little extra time here to take it to the house. What do we have on the horizon as we close out today's show? As the July 4th weekend approaches, if you're going to smuggle something across the state line, it better be worth it. Okay, can't wait to hear that. That's next on The Drive. You'd be surprised how many people are doing it. Honestly, I never thought I would. Now I can't wait to do it again. What is he doing? What are you doing? Check out The Drive with Josh Graham podcast and listen whenever and wherever you want. Available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Anchor. I just hope you know what you're doing. The Drive with Josh Graham. I like it. Yeah, let's do it. Weekday afternoons, 3 till 7 on Sports Hub Triad. Do you dream of living in the country, owning some land where you can take a deep breath, appreciate the view from your front porch, and enjoy the outdoors? Farm Credit specializes in loans for farms, homes, and land. Our team of local lending experts can tailor a solution for your needs and make your dreams a reality. Dependable credit, competitive mortgage rates, and convenient offices to serve you. Visit farmcreditofnc.com to find your local office. Equal housing lender. How much money would you like to save just by doing something you're already doing? How about 40%? With Allstate, safe drivers can save 40% just by doing something they're already doing. Driving safe. That's right, 40% just by driving safe. Visit Allstate.com or call a local agent for a quote today and see just how much you can save when you drive safe with Allstate. Not available in every state. Savings vary and based on drive-wise and other safe driving discounts. Subject to terms, conditions, and availability. Allstate Fire and Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois. Just because we're keeping our distance, it doesn't mean the music has to stop. Introducing Live From Home, Live Nation's all-new virtual music hub.